We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made the chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Hello, welcome to Sox Machine Live, everyone. I am Josh Nelson alongside Jim Margulis. I know we're a little bit more zoomed in than usual uh, when it comes to our videos on YouTube. (laughs) Can you see me now? Uh, and uh, for those that are listening to the podcast version of this episode, you are missing out as far as the uh, all the things that we do on the video side being goofy a little bit as far as webcam, Jim and I. Uh, and you can do you can actually watch the stream either on SoxMachine.com or on our YouTube page at YouTube.com slash SoxMachine so you can join in on the fun and you can post your live comments and questions. We'll address them. As we go through here with Sox Machine Live, and uh, I'm sorry, Jim, there's just not a lot to talk about when it comes to Chicago White Sox. This is going to be a pretty boring episode. Oh, did wait. You, did you, uh, did you uh, let it all air out uh, over Twitter spaces? <laughs> yeah. I understand those got a little fiery. Oh, just a bit. Just a bit. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I... I apologize because I know some people join the Twitter spaces and they just want – I'm trying to use it as like a – not as like a, as a feeder, but an opportunity to continue the conversation about the White Sox and also bring in other voices from White Sox Twitter and White Sox blogs to talk about the White Sox when we don't get a lot of opportunities to do so. I was really fired up with what happened with the year Mercedes home run fallout. I was hopeful that after the game, it wouldn't, it, it wasn't going to be a big deal. I was wrong. Uh, it became a big deal. Uh, and even though all the articles and the hoopla uh, from Tuesday night uh, to Wednesday morning and Wednesday morning, Larusa doubled down. The timeline is starting to get fa- hazy for me from a Chicago media perspective. 
But yeah, I if you follow me on Twitter and you join the Twitter spaces, I made it well known of how much I dislike just the way that Tony La Russa addressed everything. Uh, addressed as far as the way that he spoke about Yerman Mercedes, how he was totally fine that the Minnesota Twins threw at his player. And uh, we're going to get into that. So, Jim, let's start as far as uh, where you stand right now as far as the Tony La Russa and the Yerman Mercedes home run fallout. Well, I'm, you know, when it comes to like Twitter spaces and instant reaction audio wise, I'm, I'm glad I said it out just because, you know, uh, the good Lord presented us with series to digest a baseball season in. So I like waiting to the end just to kind of better contextualize everything that happened in a given city or a, a given set against a team. And I think the way they responded uh, with a two to one victory, uh, you know, looking Fairly adequate against a, you know, average at best right-handed starter and Lucas Giolito looking good. Like everything was restored to normal. And then they went on the road trip afterwards looking like Yohan Mankata. And it seemed like, you know, not necessarily all's well that ends well, but basically like almost like LaRusso was irrelevant to what the team, what the players are trying to do. Like they disagree. Uh, The players have Mercedes back. LaRusso really doesn't. And it's more or less a, they're fine with that, or at least the players will take care of what they feel they need to take care of or what LaRusse is not taking care of. And LaRusse is just letting them be. And almost like, you know, LaRusse just wants to be this guardian of baseball the way it was. And that's what he's concerned about. The players are concerned about, you know, making sure that a key player of their lineup doesn't get hurt. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, players with similar interests, like say like Tim Anderson, who is very much, uh, a vanguard of the, you know, I guess, younger baseball movement of, of being expressive on the field that he doesn't, that, you know, I guess throwing it uh, Mercedes doesn't make it okay later to throw it Anderson or anybody else who wants to uh, show themselves a little bit on the field. So it seems like there are two different interests and they're more or less like letting each other, uh, I guess, handle their own things. It's just, you know, it it kind of undercuts the idea of a manager being in charge of the team. If he's not really overseeing that aspect of protecting players like that. Yeah. I I just can't believe it. It you're the Chicago white Sox manager, Jim, a Minnesota twins pitcher has just thrown at your player intentionally. Mm -hmm. You can't be cool with that at all. They're your biggest rival. Okay. Yeah, uh, this whole situation, like I personally apologize to the twins for what they're not yeah. going to show you mercy. I remember a 20 to one beat down from the Minnesota twins in 2009. Detroit's not going to show you mercy. Cleveland's not going to show you mercy. Kansas city's not going to show you mercy. There were two blowouts today. I, the giants didn't show the reds mercy. The Rays didn't show the Orioles mercy. Nobody shows mercy anymore in Major League Baseball, Tony. So I don't Mm -hmm. know where he's coming from in that standpoint of, quote-unquote, sportsmanship. Yeah, well, I thought the apology beforehand was like, and and there were a couple of real, you know, questionable, sketchy, paternalistic things he said, like about, you know, thinking about spanking Mercedes and saying he's clueless, which is, not a thing you want to say about a foreign-born player, because that's a really loaded statement when you started to, and you know, uh, mentioning somebody who's being, especially like Mercedes has been around a while. He's like kind of his, he has his own legend in the Caribbean series and and in the uh, you know Caribbean leagues, the winter leagues. So he's been on big platforms based on the levels he's been allowed to reach. Mm-hmm. So he's not clueless. Like you know, he has an under his own understanding of how he wants to do things, but it's. You don't use that word for a guy like him. So, I mean, he already said those things, but if you consider his age and whatnot, just think, okay, he's just, he's not going to say anything. Yeah. You can maybe cut him a bit of slack or just like, just shrug it off and roll your eyes and and move on. But I thought that was maybe a, an elegant way to try to get out ahead of it and prevent a pitch from being thrown at him to where, like, if the twins did not uh, try to retaliate afterwards, he can say, well, that's why I did it. You know, that's, I just wanted to cool, you know, temperatures of the room. And this is the, you know, what my experience in my hall of fame ring says I should do. And, you know, you can roll your eyes at that too, but at least there'd be a reason for it. But once Tyler Duffy threw at or behind Mercedes, that's where you say, okay, that didn't work. Now I have right. to 
call him out on it. Now I have to say that's, you know, unacceptable. And that's why I apologize, you know, retract the apology or, you know, at, at the very least just say like, well, now I know. And we, you know, the, hopefully the league will handle it. And if not, we will handle it the next time out. Just say something like that. Um, and sure enough, Tyler Duffy got suspended three games. So the league thought that Tyler Duffy was throwing intentionally and Larusa did not. That is weird. And I've never seen like, you know, when I was reading about LaRusso with the Cardinals and such and remembering that he really was annoying to Cubs fans and Brewers fans and everybody else in that division, it was basically because he would like throwing at guys and then he would play dumb whenever, you know, afterwards. And then, you know, if the reverse happened and one of his players is thrown at, he would basically just, you know, bang pots and pans and try to get the league's attention and say, you know, pull out the fainting couch and <laughs> pretend like, oh, this is not supposed to happen with sportsmanship. That's why, you know, the the a lot of people are rolling their eyes at sportsmanship because he, you know, he would bend the rules to his liking or, you know, uh, he, he was no stranger to uh, extra judicial matters. And so to see him just, you know, do a 180 on that and basically take the twin side, almost like he ordered it. <laughs> like he was the one who ordered the plunking, was trying to play dumb about it. That, that I've never seen before. And that's what I think is really, uh, disconcerting now it's amazing that the white Sox kind of moved on and pretend nothing happened or at least like the players did and it almost seems like they just it's almost like a, an embarrassing relative in the family who just says things that <laughs> they, you know just oh that's uh uncle tony uh, ha, ha, ha. and then you're just trying to change the subject and move along but nobody really takes him seriously and that's what it feels like it just you know they, they just account on him embarrassing himself every 10 to 14 days and hope that their talent changes the subject yeah, Lucas Giolito's answer, right, when he was asked about it. And we'll talk about his start in Minneapolis because that is very noteworthy and it is worth a conversation how well Lucas Giolito pitched. But Giolito said, no negativity. We love Yerman. We love home runs. We are moving forward. That's it. No negativity, i.e., I'm not talking about Tony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's that's how I took it away. And I think you're right, Jim. The players are bottling up because it's it's like one of those situations that with your significant other or a friend, if they do something that makes you mad or puts you in a bad mood and they ask you, what's wrong? And you say, I'm fine. It's like the most loaded statement in the world. I'm fine. No, I'm not fine. But this is not a good time to air out why you have made me mad. I am trying to keep the vibes as positive as possible. And by me saying I'm fine or no negativity, we are moving on. That uh, they don't want to talk about this topic at the moment. Mm-hmm. They want to talk about the fact that they want another series against the Minnesota Twins. They're hopping on a flight and they are heading to New York, and they got two tough series coming up against the New York Yankees and the St. Louis Cardinals. Let's talk about that. I, I can yeah. totally understand that from a White Sox player's perspective. Well, I, but- I just wonder if they, you know, like. I think everybody can agree, at least on the outside, that Larusa is a weird dude. Like, just, you know, he's weird. Like, that's the only word that comes to mind is that he just says and does, like, he's not engaged the way managers are with the action. He wasn't hired the right way. Like, only one guy really wants him around. Like, everything about a situation is weird. He doesn't present himself like in a really accessible way or a friendly way, or just like he's kind of antagonistic to reporters and uh, the players just seem to kind of shrug him. So I just wonder if there's like an understanding in the clubhouse to where like, this is just something we have to endure. You know, <laughs> you know fortunately it's like the white Sox, So nobody gets fired. If ever, if Jerry Reinsdorf likes everybody, nobody gets fired. And people in previous generations of the team have had to figure out how to coexist or not coexist. Like in the case of like Robin Ventura and Ozzie Guillen and, and they're fighting with Kenny Williams or, Adam LaRoche is fighting Chris, like basically like, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't actually change people like change out people during the course of a season. So uh, things are the way they are. And I guess things are as bad or as rotten as you allow it to be. So I'm guessing LaRoche is going to be himself because he seems kind of impervious to public feedback and pressure. And so <laughs> players are probably like just among themselves, probably thinking like if we pretend to listen to him, but we just play for each other and generally just try to, you know, uh, make sure that we don't let each other down. We'll be okay. That's just kind of how it strikes me right now. Yeah. Is my name in the lineup? Okay. I'm good to go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> am I in in the bullpen or is it my day to pitch? Okay. I'll get myself ready or it's my play. turn to start. 
I want to play good defense for this pitcher uh, on the mound. I want to make sure I don't give up runs when my offense scores. Like just, you know, I, I think over the course of the nine innings, they feel like they know their obligations and, and, and who they're playing for. It doesn't feel like they're playing for La Russa. And I guess, you know, part of me wonders or, or is thinking like, that's kind of a testament to Rick Renteria in a way that, you know, hmm. when it, with this culture building, like he kind of set the team up to where it can maybe manage himself if that's exactly what's going on. Hmm, that's interesting. I, I hadn't thought of that, but as far as playing for the 26, uh, Steve Stone is tweeting out and he, he is no stranger to publicly calling out the teams that he is broadcasting for, but he's mm-hmm. not necessarily calling them out. He's just proving a point from his experiences, not just as a, as a player, but also his very long broadcasting experience as well. Some good teams, some not good teams that not everybody in the clubhouse is going to like each other. We know that that's with every single workplace, no matter where you are in this world, there are, there are people that you're going to like working with. There are people that you do not like working with, but you have to figure out how to work as a team. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Stone was trying to make that point on Twitter today that it is really up to the 26 guys that are wearing the White Sox uniform to decide on how far this team's going to go. It's not Tony La Russa. It is the 26 guys that are playing almost every single day. They have to play for each other and they have to be united in one goal, which is to try to win a world championship in 2021. When it comes to the narrative, especially Tony La Russa, and I thought he put it perfectly saying, I am oblivious to what is being said about me out in the media, uh, is perfect. Like, you want a nickname for Tony La Russa in 2021? Captain oblivious is perfect for La Russa. He's oblivious on how extra inning rules work. Mm -hmm. He's oblivious how modern day baseball (laughs) plays. He's oblivious to how the culture is in today's game. Uh, He is oblivious. And I think you make a lot of good points, Jim, as far as the future for this White Sox and how they're going to have to press on that. It's the 26 guys for White Sox fans. It kind of sucks. You know, it's like, well, I'm not really rooting for the manager, but I'm also rooting that he makes good decisions and he makes good lineups and he makes good choices as far as coming out of the bullpen because we kind of need him to do that because he's calling the shots. But it's just so... It's so interesting to me about the narrative. Frank Thomas was cool with the Yerman Mercedes home run. Mm -hmm. Ozzie Guillen was cool with the Yerman Mercedes home run. Steve Stone and Jason Benetti were cool with the Yerman Mercedes home run. The White Sox players are obviously cool with Yerman Mercedes home run. Lance Lynn, the last guy I expected, is cool with the Yerman Mercedes home run. Lance Lynn is a millennial. Well, that's true. Yeah, we're People older than Lance Lynn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh is on an island here. He I think and he's also oblivious to that. You mm-hmm. are alone with the way that you feel, Tony. Okay. You can say, I bet nobody in that clubhouse has a problem with what I'm saying. I will take that bet. Whatever you want to wager, buddy, I will take that bet because you are wrong and you are on an island with this. And here, to borrow a catchphrase from our friends from the 108 Cherizi, here's the thing. In Chicago, especially White Sox fans, we want to air out our grievances and move on. And that would happen if the White Sox were traveling to Detroit, Jim, or Cleveland. No, they are traveling to New York. And they are facing the Yankees. So now it's the New York media's turn Friday morning or Friday afternoon when they get a chance to talk to Tony La Russa. It mm-hmm. is now their turn to go after Tony and see what reaction that they can get out of him and write about. And this story is going to continue through the damn weekend. And then he gets friends to come visit him in Chicago as the St. Louis Cardinals come. And then it's going to be like a complete 180 where he's going to have a bunch of people praising uh, for all the things that he did in St. Louis, or that's the reason why they'll do it. So this story, whether you want it to go away or not, is unfortunately going to continue at least one more day because mm-hmm. the New York media is going to want their shot at Tony Russa, And we'll see if LaRusso's tone changes after the off day. Maybe he realizes not having a game to worry about and maybe catching up on the news that, okay, maybe I am alone on this island and I'm going to apologize to Yerma Mercedes and to the guys in the clubhouse and what I've said the last couple of days. That is how I feel, but I need to do this in a much more productive way. I need to handle this 
internally moving throughout the entire season. Hopefully we don't have this situation again, but it's still a long season. And that's what I'm hoping to hear from Tony mm-hmm. Friday afternoon when he meets with the New York media. But if I he doubles yeah. down again, if he doubles down again, Jim, I then yeah, it's okay. It's 26 against one. Go 26 White Sox players. I don't care about the manager. Yeah, I'm not seeing that reaction from him. I'm seeing more of the same. I think he's just, he's set in his ways. And this is very important to him. It's more important to him than, uh, you know, something that should be important, which is making sure his players aren't getting thrown at and, and targeted. So, yeah, that's a, like he just strikes me as a weird dude with a different set of priorities, just like Jerry Reinsdorf is weird and has a different set of priorities that nobody matches. And they're both kind of insulated from public pressure in the same way. That, you know, like in LaRusso's case, like, you know, like it, it kind of shows when it, when you when you have like, you know, the, the legal problems he's had and you're not exactly apologetic or at least, you know, don't admit there's a deeper problem there and you just try to look past it. I think that's kind of how he'll treat it. Just, you know, ultimately he's right. His his ring says he's right and he's not going to admit it. That would admit weakness. And he's fine. Like, in, and also with his Cardinals days, he's very comfortable being on people's bad side, like whether it's his own players, you know, usually he would take that bad side in the form of benching guys who didn't feel like they deserved to be benched or, mm-hmm. you know, getting like unproven players to play it over prospects or blocking uh, highly touted prospects because they didn't play the game the right way and, and then use like scrappy veterans over them. But either way, like he was, he would create some friction, but it was for like, you know, just playing time reasons or roster reasons or for what he felt was like the good of the team. This is like for the, good of how he envisions baseball and that's like just that feels like he should be working for the league <laughs> like he should yes. have like joe tory's job if, if he's if he's focusing on that like you know league matters and, and being the guardian of uh baseball of his generation like that's not you know you're managing a team in 2021 with millennials and gen zers like you're, you're like you know players several generations under him like that's that's not his job anymore that's you know his task right now is managing the players who have been produced in this environment and making sure that they're playing well that they're in positions to win and you know being protected and you know the, the thing too you mentioned like that you know he's more focused on unwritten rules than written rules and i'm thinking of like times where he like you know you know the matt foster game where he left matt foster and he felt terrible about it you didn't like have foster throwing him on the bus and said i don't know why i was out there that long and even giolito he slipped up when he was on the mound and he said like yeah that he had nothing left but then he corrected himself quickly and said that uh, you know it was still his inning if he's on the mound it's his job but you know like basically they were put in positions to fail they failed and you know they didn't throw him under the bus not that they would and not that they, you know it's the power disparity uh, that, you know, that they can't, but just like they've had a cover for him multiple times and they've had to say, you know, they've had to uh, bite their tongues multiple times for mistakes he's made. And apparently like the Liam Hendricks thing, like people in the dugout were telling him, you know, what the rules were and he wasn't getting it or something, but either way, just like there've been occasions where he's out and out screwed up and put players in positions to fail. And just, he's had to apologize and, you know, self-flagellate, but it's not, uh, you know, that's his choice. Like, you know, I, I, yeah. Yeah. I agree with you that Tony Russa should be working for the league mm-hmm. or he could do commentary on MLB network. If you want to be the guardian of the game, go work for the league. You know, yeah. you got to be the guardian of the Chicago white Sox. Somebody throws at one of your players. You got to defend your guy. Okay. You got to deal with your Mercedes for the entire 2021 season. And it's expected to be a long season now with the way that this season has started. That's all we ask, but he's failed multiple times and he keeps doubling down. And now it's the New York media's turn on Friday and we'll see if he doubles down a third time. And uh, yeah, New York post yeah. had a story about how like, Clubhouse is turning on him, and I wouldn't believe. Uh, uh, it, also, it's, like it's New York Post, also a reporter's name I didn't recognize. So, just like, why would they like? Yeah. So, you know, but either way, it's it started already with with uh, uh, vaguely, thinly, fabricatedly sourced stuff. So, once the actual like good reporters in New York come into the picture, yeah, it's it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna flesh out a little bit. Yeah, they are sharks. Tony La Russa is chum. They are going to be swimming. They're going to be in that Zoom meeting. 
it is going to be interesting. We got this comment that came in through our YouTube uh, as far as feed. And thank you guys for posting as far as your comments. And for those that are listening to the podcast feed, uh, you get an opportunity to miss out on this from the live stream. Uh, but I wanted to read this question because CC Sabathia, uh, he had a response, Jim, and I wanted to get your feedback on it. Uh, Michael just posted in the comment section, CC Sabathia nailed on this. If you don't back your team, why are you the manager? Now, Michael added a little extra verbiage there, which yeah, Sabathia did. <laughs> Sabathia, I think, cussed out Tony Larusa more on his podcast than I did on Twitter Spaces. And that was a lot of cussing on my part. But, you know, back to as far as this generation, you know, CC Sabathia is being very vocal and he's got great insight because, you know, he's a recent right retiree as far as in the majors. And he's been pretty consistent from the beginning that this was not a good hire by the White Sox to bring in Tony Russa. He is not going to mesh with the players in that clubhouse. And Sabathia, he went on a tirade uh, about this specific situation. I also love that he said that the twins suck. Uh, <laughs> that was maybe one of my favorite parts yeah. of the podcast. Uh, but how do you feel about somebody like CC Sabathia, who's got, you know, uh, he's got a lot of credence to him. Uh, and, you know, there's still people around the league that really look up to him. They consider him a future Hall of Famer. When you hear someone like CC Sabathia have that type of response to the way that Tony La Russa has handled this situation. How do you feel about that? Well, it's it's kind of one Hall of Famer baseball person to another. Just probably in five years, Sabathia will be eligible in 2024, so in a, in a few years. But uh, yeah, he's 40, so not a millennial. I think he's the last of the Gen X. So he's, uh, he's uh, you know, he, I guess he would have the license to be more old school. But yeah, he was pretty much correct. I think my favorite part was uh, describing, uh, saying Tyler Duffy's weird ass. <laughs> that was my favorite part. Just because, yeah, Tyler Duffy is just, uh, something's off with that guy. And just... Um, they gave up three runs. And yeah, then was first game, the doubleheader. He tested his suspension, and so he's still on the team, and he paid the Twins back by giving up three runs <laughs> in the inning. So, yeah, just good good for him. Uh, but, yeah, the, the, the thing with unwritten rules and, and retribution and retaliation and such is like, you know, normally you do it, uh, you know, if you're going to do it, you typically do it with the first pitch the next time you see him, you know, and the batter's kind of, you know, he's prepared for it. He's ready to look inside and protect himself accordingly. But when you wait like a couple of at-bats, you know, like several innings into the game, a few pitches later, and then Tyler Duffy, who just likes, like he's the guy who got, he started the whole Tim Anderson against the league thing mm -hmm. because uh, back in uh, 2016, Anderson pirouetted out of the box on a Duffy pitch on a homer that he knocked out to left. And then Duffy stared him around the bases and Ryan O'Rourke threw at him later in the game. And, you know, Duffy, uh, you know, complained about to the media afterwards saying that, you know, you, you stared at it and, you know, he's, he's basically wired that way and complains a lot about, you know, players showing him up and uh, for a while, like it's, that's cause he sucked and then he got good. And then he's like, well, you, you know, now you're better than the hitter. So you can do it in kind, if you feel wrong, like you can strike him out and then, stun on him or, you know, just, you know, scream a little bit to uh, make up for it. But now, now he's back to uh, kind of come full circle back where he was early in his career, where he's uh, right now actively terrible. And <laughs> just, uh, yeah, just, uh, I was glad to see Sabathia call him out. And, and yeah, just I'm enjoying the accumulation of asses because, you know, uh, Tim Anderson called Brad Keller weak ass. And I have C. Sabathia calling Tyler Duffy weird ass. I just, I hope that we keep adding to this uh, because I do like ass as a suffix for adjectives. It's uh, it, it's it, it just adds some punch that I think is is welcome in, in baseball language. Well, again, the Chicago White Sox are in New York. They'll be playing in the Bronx against the New York Yankees. We will be previewing that series later in this episode. Uh, but to just quickly recap, as far as his past series for the White Sox against the Minnesota Twins, they should have swept Minnesota. They had a four nothing lead in Game Two. They had a four to two lead. Going into the eighth inning, it is the third such loss this season where the White Sox have had a lead in the eighth inning or later, and the bullpen was not able to lock it down. So while we can be happy that the White Sox are 26 and 16, their record would be awesome. I mean, we're talking if they could shut those three games down. We're talking about a 29 and 13 White Sox team after the first 25% of the season. That's crazy. Uh, and they would be the talk of the league for a different reason than their manager. 
but they lost that game in game two. So it's the rubber match and it's Lucas Giolito and he's given up 18 runs in his last 24 innings. He gives up a home run to Nelson Cruz in the third inning after really not having great command or control of his pitches in the first two innings, Jim. And it seemed like after that home run that he allowed to Nelson Cruz that he focused, he got into rhythm. And at the end of that game, after eight innings, Lucas Giolito struck out 11 batters. He walked three. He only allowed two hits, both of them to Nelson Cruz. Nobody on the Twins roster that day mm-hmm. had a base hit. And it's that type of bounce back performance we've been hoping to see from Giolito since he had the meltdown in Boston. Yeah, it was the changeup that he had that allowed him just to lean on it and buy himself a couple innings. Because when he showed up in the first inning, spring his fastball walking leadoff guys. Changeup was off too. The slider was actually pretty good. That's another point in his uh, favor for the start, something he didn't have before. But he had ways to take focus off poor fastball command. And that was something that had eluded him previous starts to where, like, you know, fastballs down the middle were getting smoked and he just had to rely on that because nothing else is working for him. The changeup was fading out. Slider was just, as he said, a cutter. He described it as like a pitch that was just barely moving um, and a contact pitch and a very loud contact pitch for a lot of them. So, having the sharper slider, the, the good snap to it, getting you know, a good back foot slider, which is a pitch he doesn't typically throw, put that in the hitter's heads. The changeup was the back to the fluttering one we talked about where he can just throw it high in the zone. And basically like hitters are taking running starts at them and whiffing just, they, they can't time it. They can't gauge it. They can't see it right. And that's something that hadn't been there. And then the fastball command showed up and that's how he got to go eight innings. Like even if his fastball command wasn't there, he probably still have, could have gotten six. Like he could have just, you know, worked some extended at bats, uh, deeper counts. The pitch count might have uh, racked up a little bit, but he would have avoided, based on the way that changeup was floating on him, like the hard contact. It might have been a lot of foul balls, but, you know, the, the at bats would resolve with non hits. So I think that's, uh, that's what I like the most. And then the fastball showing up with the slider being an active weapon too, that's how you get eight innings. And that's how Nelson Cruz gets the only two hits. So that was, uh, that was a pleasure. And that's the kind of, you know, that this kind of start we hadn't seen the kind of like stopper start we hadn't seen. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it was a stopper, not only for, you know, potential series loss for an opponent that uh, they want to keep down, but also like a stopper for all the Tony La Russa stuff too, because they got to leave Minnesota with the win. They're all dressed like Yohan Makata, uh, got on the plane, took some funny pictures and funny Instagram videos. And that was a good palate cleanser. Yeah, it was. It it definitely was. So it's great to see Lucas G. Little bounce back for the White Sox. And, and talking about this twin series, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't mention Lurie Garcia. I know mm-hmm. you just wrote about him on SoxMachine.com. Lurie Garcia had a good series, Jim. For the White Sox against the Minnesota Twins, we were hoping that somebody would step up with the absence of Jose Abreu missing the series because of his right ankle inflammation. Um, But Lurie, I mean, is this just a, yeah, he had good three games and let's not count on him all the time? Or do you think that this is something that's building up as far as his play after he struggled so badly to start the season? It seems like something that's you know, basically like he's getting back to his old self. And mm. I think, you know, there's, it's hard to tell with him just because he had the thumb injury last year, the surgery last year. So, you know, there's that element uh, of a hand injury in his recent past that could set production. Um, so that's a variable that other hitters don't have, but he's just, he's had a couple of different forms over his White Sox career. And like the early part of his White Sox career when he was barely hanging on and, and bouncing between Charlotte and Chicago was like, he, he was a switch hitter, but none of, neither of the swings looked good. Like just a lot <laughs> of misses on, on pitches in the zone, just like almost like he didn't understand his swing plane. Um, it it kind of reminds me of like when somebody doesn't know where the pinata is and they're just swinging under it. That's kind of how his swing often looked just, mm. you know, you know, hanging change up sliders in the zone, just swinging under it, swinging over it, topping balls that are there. Like just, yeah. You know, and, and that's the mode that he took this, you know, the first couple weeks of the season. And I didn't know whether that was the hand injury or whether it was just him adopting some old bad habits that we hadn't seen in years, but either way, we've seen that guy before, which made me think that, uh, you know, we can't really see that guy much longer because that guy is in a major league or that guy goes down to Charlotte and comes back when there's an injury. So the fact that he came back and, and well, and 
it's hard to tell too because he came back after like four days off. Like he played on a, a April 20th and then he played on April 25th. So that might be time for something that's uh, hmm. aggravating him to heal, or that could just be something to go back in the cage or look at video, just see what he's doing wrong and reassess. But either way, he had like a, a little bit of a, a breather to reassess himself. And now he's making contact. Like I posted a chart in this Garcia post I had just talking, you know, basically showing his WOBA's weighted on base average and it rising over the course of the season. And then you're seeing the contact rate in the zone, basically step by. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. A step with it along the way going from uh you know it's different scales but basically like garcia you know five games in the season his his contact and pitches in the zone was like 75 percent, which is terrible mm-hmm. uh for a guy who hits with no power especially like you, if you're going to see that kind of uh lack of contact on strikes it's usually guys who are swinging for the fences every time and and eventually capitalize like when he's hitting 160 and slugging 190 that's pretty much a useless player. And that's why, and and I think he knew that too, which is why he bunted every time there was a runner that he could bunt over, like he was giving himself up because, you know, and that's me, something telling me just, you know, watching him, like him telling me through the screen, like something's not right. I I don't like the way I'm swinging. I don't think I'm giving the offense a chance if I swing the bat. So I got to bunt, I got to think like a pitcher and just move a guy along, make my out productive. So that's what I felt like something is wrong here. Um, and that he came back after five or four days off five days later and started looking better. That makes me think that maybe something was bothering him. That's not bothering him right now. And now he's back to his, his useful self, which is like, you know, you, maybe you don't want him as the everyday center fielder, but you like him as a backup center fielder, shortstop, second baseman who can play two to three times a week. You love him in that role. And if he has to get stretched out a little bit more because of injury, that's not the worst thing in the world. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Well, let's take a look at the American League Central standings after the White Sox series win. The Chicago White Sox, again, are in first place with a 26-16 and 16 record. Cleveland is in second place at 23-18. and 18. Kansas City is at 20-22. and 22. Detroit, the Detroit Tigers are one of the hottest teams in the American League. They have won eight of their last 10 games including winning three in a row. They are 17 and 26, and this was before the doubleheader in Anaheim. Uh, but the Minnesota Twins are currently 14 and 28. The screen on our YouTube channel says 14 and 27, but the Twins lost game one, uh, seven to one of their doubleheader. So after that uh, game in Minneapolis, the Twins also had a flyout. And they had to go to Anaheim to make up some of the games that they missed out because they got hit with the coronavirus bug. Uh, So that's why they had a random doubleheader against the Angels this week. And then they got to fly back to Cleveland and have a three-game series against Cleveland. So things don't get easier for the Minnesota Twins. And uh, for the White Sox, again, they're going to New York. We'll talk about that series in a moment. But I want to talk about a general baseball uh, as far as news, because we have seen two double headers this week, Jim, and uh, a very simple question: the no hitter, too many? Yes, <laughs> yeah. 
Pretty much. Like just, it, it's, it was funny. I went to the Nashville sounds game on Wednesday night. Um, really didn't check my phone all that much. Just posted pictures of Yolmer Sanchez and Ryan Goins and Jonathan Lucroy and all the former, all the old friends I, I saw there and just enjoying a nice evening out. And then I turned on the, we left in the ninth inning, uh, after ninth inning, went to 10, but we had to go, uh, you know, get the dog out. And, and mm-hmm. uh, so listening to the radio of the game on the way home and heard Corey Kluber through a new hitter, just like, no, oh. like, <laughs> I just, no, like, I, I just, well, I'm glad Carlos Rodon threw his early because he got to, en- I, I think he got to enjoy it. The league got to enjoy, yeah. uh, you know, the, the story of him, like achieving what people thought he could achieve when he was drafted. Like that, that was the kind of future people saw for him. So I was happy that he got the whole redemption story and, and got to enjoy his 24 hours, but like Spencer Turnbull does it and like, Oh, Spencer Turnbull. Yeah. Good for him. And then Corey Kluber's is like, well, what did Spencer Turnbull actually accomplish? So I just feel bad for uh, guys who should be at the top of their game. It's kind of like, you know, it, it's almost like if, uh, you know, a golf course uh, changed like one of its holes in a par three from like, I don't know, like four inches wide to like four and a half feet wide. And then they got like four hole in one, you know, four holes in one in like a, a weekend. And, and people who were excited about the first time, just like, oh, that's, that feels kind of cheap now. Um <laughs> However, I think it's maybe good in a way, just if it, it paints like, you know, Steve Stone and, uh, and to his credit, like he's been very open and, uh, you know, given that usually takes like pro pitcher stances, usually kind of ingest to as a foil to Benetti, but he'll often take pro pitcher stances. But in this case, he's saying, no, move the mound back. Um, you know, see what they're doing in the you know, Atlantic League and minor leagues and move it back because this is not you're not seeing the athleticism in the game. And I think that might be a harder sell if, you know, these no hitters are one and two hitters just because, you know, you don't have the um, just the out and out historical blip. Like you can say like, Oh, there are more two hitters in baseball this year than another year in history. And that just doesn't resonate the same as no hitters and mobbing the mound every night and seeing no hitter alerts on MLB network or coming across your at bat app and just being like, you're looking at like, again, like just that's right. Not uh, that's weird. And uh, I think that does cheapen the feed a little bit for fans. Like it doesn't cheapen it for the players, the people involved, but you know, uh, I think if Rodon through his this weekend, it, our story is different. Like the story we write, the story we talk about is different than the one we talked about and wrote about when it happened. And I think especially when it's like the same teams being victimized, like the Indians and the Mariners, like that's also, it's like a two, it's like a one, two punch of like undermining a, an accomplishment because I remember when it was the Tin Linsome come era and the Padres were the ones getting no hit. And people would say like, Oh, does no hitting the Padres count? Like, does they even count? Like, <laughs> and uh, it's kind of the same thing right now with the Mariners and the, and they have two of those teams serving that role. And that's troubling if you have two teams that are just, um, I guess, you know, walking examples of just how tough it is for teams to find offense or, you know, partially like, you know, in the case of the Mariners and such, like teams not trying to build offenses or in the case of Cleveland, teams cutting payroll and trying to get by in the cheap with filling out an outfield. You have these uh, different kind of flaws all kind of converging into this feat of a no hitter. And it creates a lot of uncomfortable conversations, I think, or ones that are hard. You know, they're not the celebration uh, that no hitters usually are uh, celebrating a career, celebrating a feat, celebrating a defensive plays that kept it alive. Like it's, it, it's, it's something that normally should have that kind of special quality that right now I think does not. And uh, I want to get back to full circle here. Yeah, we're seeing a lot more no hitters and we are seeing offensive numbers that are the worst in our lifetime. And on Twitter, if you follow me on Twitter, I'm at socks machine underscore Josh this morning, I was openly asking on Twitter and we kind of trying to hold a symposium as far as advanced metrics, because a lot of the advanced metrics that we lean on when we try to build a narrative and explain what we are watching and what we are seeing day to day doesn't seem to match up, uh, especially when it comes to weighted runs created plus based on the slash lines that we see. And, you know, just for me, I'm just having a disconnect because maybe the offense is that bad. And maybe that is a side effect of what happened in 2020, mm-hmm. just having a 60 game season. And now you're trying to turn around 
and play a 162 game season. But I figured that would be the pitching that would struggle, or we'd see, you know, huge, a huge amount of pitching injuries and there are injuries, but you know, we got, we got Spencer Turnbull throwing no hitters. We got Wade Miley, Wade Miley threw a no hitter. Corey Kluber throwing a no hitter. Absolutely. If it was 2016, 2017, Mm -hmm. But shoulder reconstruction, Corey Kluber, throwing a no-hitter. Yeah, but to come full circle, that's why with the Euro Mercedes home run when it's 3-0, even even when you're up big, you got to pad your stats, man, as a hitter. Because (laughs) look at the league right now. Numbers are down. Numbers are down. So if you got a chance to hit a home run, hit a home run because you never know, tomorrow you might get no hit. Yeah, well, it's, you know, I saw you mentioning or trying to figure out like, you know, with the weighted runs created plus and uh, various weighted stats, trying to figure out like a, a guy with an extreme line like Rondahl's, like how his <laughs> season is more productive yeah. than Tim Anderson's one. And I think it's kind of a, you know, there is science, but I think right now, given how extreme the league is, that you can put some art into the science and you can try to figure out, like use your own, you know, draw your own conclusions and just see how it plays out. Because I think, you know, uh, when it comes to saber metrics and weighted, you know, it assumes a certain environment. And right now, I think that environment can't be assumed. And so you have to see how the game is unfolding in front of you and see how much hits do matter when mm-hmm. hits are in in uh, short supply. And I, I go back to like you know, um, you know, wins above replacement, and how it's generally like a good stat. But like when it, you're pushing the margins, and like yeah, I guess the example was like the White Sox right field and DH situation when like both positions are three to four wins below replacement, which is basically shattering the scale. You know, theoretically, if you go from like, um, you know, oh, for forever, Daniel Polka to John Jay, and you go from like negative 3.5 wins to negative 1.5 wins, that should be a two win improvement. But like negative 1.5 wins is still terrible. That's still like actively hurting the team. So going from like really terrible to terrible, you can't register an improvement that way in a, in a way that affects games. So I think when you're, when you have these uh, sabermetric stats that assume like, you know, well, guys don't hit 130 over the course of a full season or guys don't, uh, you'll never deal with an average that low or you never deal with a walk rate this high uh, just based on, you know, historical precedent that I think you do have to um, account for outliers or at least, you know, maybe not discard them or, but also just don't take them hundred percent of face value because uh the environment is completely different. That's why I was, you know, we talked about it earlier and I've been just looking at what the league's doing for context and what mm-hmm. the runners in scoring position struggles, the white Sox were having and how extreme it seemed. But then on my Twitter feed, Yankees fans and twins fans and a bunch of other fans were talking about how their teams couldn't hit with runners in scoring position. Just made me think like, well, okay. Uh, basically like the entire difference between a good and bad night with runners in scoring position is one for seven and two for eight. <laughs> That's kind of the, <laughs> the line. Uh, that is the margin. That's yeah, the threshold. Uh, so that, that's how, how I kind of you know, process uh, the game now is just the White Sox are, you know, some numbers aren't good, but are they better than what other teams are doing? You know, is Grandal, his weird line, better than what other people are doing? I mean, you look at James McCannon with the Mets and he's off to a terrible start. And that's the kind of season where just like, if he had that in Chicago, um, yeah. Lucas Giolito would have to pitch really, really well in order <laughs> for, for that value to be maintained. So just, it's, it's a weird year for a lot of guys and you just have to keep an open mind and not, yeah. You know, if, if things are weird, just say like, well, is it weird elsewhere? And right now things are weird everywhere. And I think no hitters are a nice shorthand to say just how weird it is for pitchers and hitters. Well, who knows? Maybe we'll see a no hitter this weekend, hopefully from a White Sox pitcher, against the New York Yankees. And before we sign off, let's go ahead and preview this series between the White Sox and the New York Yankees. And the New York Yankees currently are 25 and 19. They have won three straight games. Offensively, a surprising number when it comes to runs per game. They're just slightly below four runs per game. You would think as far as the New York Yankees before the season, this powerful lineup, they'll be right there with the White Sox as far as challenging for scoring the most runs in the league. They are struggling on the offensive side as far as to put up a lot of runs, and they're only averaging around four per game. 
the run prevention side has been good for the Yankees. They're only allowing 3.63 runs per game, so they have a positive run differential. And when we take a look at the probable pitchers for this series, Friday night, May 21st at 6.05 p.m. Central Time, Carlos Rodon will be on the mound for the White Sox against lefty Jordan Montgomery. And I can already hear the White Sox fans listening to this, licking their lips, because we all like to see this White Sox team face left-handed starters. And then on Saturday, nothing brings you back to a sober mood than when you see Garrett Cole on the mound against your favorite team. And he'll be starting for the Yankees. This is a 12.05 p.m. Central Time start. Opposing Garrett Cole will be Dylan Cease. So, Dylan, I hope you have your A game because uh, you will need it because uh, Garrett Cole is a tough matchup for this White Sox lineup. And then on Sunday, May 23rd, again, it is 12.05 p.m. Central Time. It's Dallas Keuchel on the mound for the White Sox, and he'll be going up against Jameson Tyon for the Yankees, uh, former Pittsburgh Pirates pitcher. And, again, he's got stuff that makes you wonder, Jim, that maybe he can give – a hard time to the White Sox hitters, but he hasn't been pitching all that well. But when I look at this series between the White Sox and Yankees, the, the first thing that comes to mind is I think this is a playoff preview. I Not just any type of playoff preview. I think this is a preview of the American League Championship Series for 2021 between the White Sox and Yankees. And we're going to get a taste of that. And this weekend, we'll get a taste of it later in the season in August when they have the Field of Dreams game. I'm a bit surprised that ESPN did not pick up any of these games or Fox Sports, uh, especially with how well both teams have been playing to really hype up as far as this matchup between the White Sox and Yankees in the Bronx. Uh, but I think for both fan bases, they know just how important this series is as an early litmus test to see just how real our teams are at the moment. And when it comes to the Yankees and White Sox, I think it's a playoff preview. Do you think it's a playoff preview? Uh, kind of. I think the teams are, but the shape of the teams are not. Uh, I mean, the White Sox are missing Robert and Jimenez, and the Yankees are missing, or either they're missing guys like Giancarlo Stanton's out, uh, Hicks is out, but they also like they have guys like Glaber Torres is coming off of COVID, and you know, the, the outfield's kind of a mess right now, and LeMahieu's doing all right. You know, they're catching the Yankees at a decent time. They're better than they were at the start of the season, but they're still not quite full strength. And you basically, I'm looking at the series and thinking like, well, I hope Garrett Cole isn't the next no-hitter just because <laughs> his stuff has been that good. I mean, that's no knock on the White Sox. It has been but good. When, yeah. But when, you know, they they barely keep, you know, beat Matt Shoemaker and then they go from him to their next ready being Garrett Cole, it doesn't inspire a whole lot of confidence. So I just hope they get their hit out of the way early and then just, you know, basically they'll have to Dylan Cease to, to throw six pretty good innings to keep a minute, but it, it's, you know, based on the way they've been playing, they can afford a series loss. It's just more of a matter of, I would like to see a better showing against a right-handed pitcher. And I don't count on that being Garrett Cole. So maybe Sunday is there, uh, you know, that's, you know, Jameson Tyon, he's kind of a project for the Yankees. Like he wasn't, mm -hmm. yeah, they maybe thought there could be like a Garrett Cole transformation based on former pirates farmhand. Who's has some stuff, but can't quite put it together, but it's been slow going for him. So that seems like the kind of gettable pitcher. And then you have Montgomery's lefty too. So if they can endure Saturday, um, that, that I think is going to be the big one just for everybody's sake, because it could get <laughs> ugly, but yeah, I think uh, if anything, the, the, the well-played game in the finale for the Minnesota series, after all the Larissa stuff, probably me, you know, it was good preparation for going into New York dealing with more Larusa stuff and but but keeping their their eye on the task at hand. Yeah, that's this is why I'm a bit surprised that Fox Sports didn't pick up the Saturday game and uh, push it to a six o'clock central time start. Uh, because Dylan Cease has been throwing the ball really well uh lately and that would have been nice as far as to promote him to a national audience. But again, both games are at 12 o'clock. Uh we had yeah, we had scheduled a pregame show uh, with our friends from the 108 Saturday morning. So we'll be tweeting that out as uh, we'll meet up with them and look forward to that Garrett Cole start. You know what the Garrett Cole start is for me, Jim? This is the, all right, my case study on why the White Sox need another left-handed hitter in the lineup. This is why the White Sox need to make a trade before the end of July. That's 
that that's that's what I'm hoping to you see know, because if they perform well against Garrett Cole, maybe they'll give the impression of oh we don't need another bat, we're fine. But I I just don't have a good feeling because it, it's just not that Garrett Cole gets a lot of strikeouts. Garrett Cole's not walking anyone, so mm-hmm. he's going to challenge these White Sox hitters, especially the righties. If they're going to win this game, yeah, I. I can't see Yasmani Grandal having a multi-walk game against Garrett Cole. Well, I hope he's in the lineup just to, for the unstoppable force and movable object. <laughs> yeah, the guy who you know, doesn't walk anybody versus the guy who doesn't allow strikes to be thrown to him is, is going to be fascinating. But I think, you know, if should they have like a, a good game against Cole and break up his run, they still have four games against Cleveland just right around the corner, basically against their right-handed starters. And Shane Bieber is probably going to be in there. So that'll be probably a reminder of just how the White Sox fare against quality right-handed pitching. So they, they can't breathe easy if even if somehow they, they do come out ahead against Cole and Tyon. But they do need to figure out how to win a game against a cal a you know, it gets a caliber pitcher of Garrett Cole. Yeah. Because yep. when it comes postseason time, if you're in game one or if you're in game seven, uh the Yankees would love to have Garrett Cole on the mound against the White Sox. And the White Sox are going to have to find a way to do some damage against Garrett Cole. And also a bullpen that also throws really well and helps with the run prevention side. That's the thing. The Yankees offense has not been producing at the level we thought they were going to be, mm-hmm. but they do a really good job on the run prevention side. Uh, so these could be some low scoring games this weekend, but I'm hoping fingers crossed the Friday game goes really well for the White Sox and they build up some confidence. And uh, even the bigger story from a White Sox perspective, will Jose Abreu play? And mm-hmm. I hope that he does um, because if he doesn't play this series, Jim, I'm going to start questioning the decision-making of the White Sox in the sense of, well, if you knew it was going to be this bad, or if it was a 50, 50 shot for him to even play the Yankee series, you probably should have just had him stay in Chicago and throw him on the injured list and be like, we'll see you for the St. Louis series. Get a left-handed uh, of, bat and Gavin Sheets. Yeah, get a left-handed bat in the lineup and, you know, give yeah, Gavin Sheets, give him a 10-day try uh, and not have Jose Breu flying with an in, inflamed right ankle. Uh, but hopefully Jose Abreu does play this weekend. That'll be a big boost and give the White Sox even a better opportunity to do some damage against Garrett Cole on Saturday. But it should be a fun series. These next two series are going to be good for the White Sox as far as good tests because the St. Louis Cardinals are also playing some really good baseball. And they'll be next when the White Sox come from New York to Chicago for that uh, series. And then the Memorial Day weekend series is against the Baltimore Orioles. So a little bit of a breather after two tough series for the Chicago White Sox. But that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. For everyone that watched the live stream on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Machine. thank you guys so much. And uh, if you don't get a chance to watch uh, the live stream because life, family, work, gets in the way, or maybe you might just want to listen to us talk to you instead of watching us. I get that. Um, but if you do want to watch us, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash socks machine. And you can subscribe to the socks machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on Twitter. We are at socks machine. You can follow me on Twitter at socks machine underscore Josh. If you enjoy our work and you want more, Think about signing up on Patreon, where you get an ad-free version of the podcast and an ad-free version of the website, plus also exclusive content and first crack, first crack at our swag items. We have plans starting at $2, $3, $5, and $10 a month. So if, again, if you like our work and you want more, go to patreon.com slash machine to sign up today. And one last thing for those that are watching the live stream at 8.30, our friends from the 108 will start streaming their podcast. There's a lot of, uh, let's call it angst, Jim, with White Sox season tickets as the White Sox have announced they are expanding capacity. It'll be 60% capacity at Guarantee Rate Field for the upcoming series. Memorial Day weekend tickets are going to go on sale this upcoming weekend. There's a lot of questions in regards to White Sox ticketing. You'll Mm -hmm. want to watch and listen to the From the 108 podcast. The guys have all the deets there. Again, that show is going to start at 8.30 p.m. Central Time. And you can subscribe to their show at YouTube.com slash from the 108 
uh, in case you missed the live stream because they'll have good information as far as those tickets. And again, we'll talk to them on Saturday morning before the White Sox and Yankees game. But again, the Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening. For the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner. Offering supplies and solutions for every industry. Committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com slash safety, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.